This podcast was recorded on Thursday, November 1st at 5.58 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Probably, it's probably one of the nicest things I could say about the liberal government since 2015 that they, they, well, they went into the election with a really strong agenda. Yeah, they're struggling with it, but you kind of, like, honestly, you kind of, you would expect them to struggle. Kevin Page, Canada's former parliamentary budget officer, laying down some real talk about what he calls some lofty government goals. Three years ago, the Prime Minister and his new cabinet were headed to the Governor General's to be sworn in as the next federal government. Justin Trudeau had an ambitious plan. This plan is about bringing fairness and help to uh, middle-class families. While the rich were getting richer, others were being left behind, he said. The truth is, Folks today are more likely to fall out of the middle class than they are to join it. A big part of Trudeau's answer was the Canada Child Benefit. A bigger, tax-free, fair, automatic monthly child benefit. It's not just low-income families benefiting. The average Canadian family will get an extra $2,300 a year. And I know it's going to make a real difference in the lives of, uh, of uh, families in the middle class and those working hard to join it. Aside from bigger child benefits, the Liberals also promised big social policy change. Fundamentally, if you're going to end homelessness, you need housing first to work. I'm proud to launch Opportunity for All, which is Canada's first ever ever national poverty reduction strategy. Taking from the rich to give to the poor didn't come without controversy. They use vague, um, you know, very discriminative, very terrible, divisive terms like uh, tax cheats and tax on the wealthy to describe small, hardworking small business owners who form part of the middle class. Let's put it this way, the more and more I am hearing on the, on the doorsteps is uh, that there is a dis- total disconnect with the Liberals. Liberal Cabinet Minister Ralph Goodale unsurprisingly sees things differently. We won in 2015 by having a relentless focus on the middle class and all of those working so hard just to get to the middle class. And we have delivered on that mandate. Well, did they? Are things really better off for Canada's middle class and all those wishing to join it? I'm Althea Raj, and this is Follow Up, a HuffPost Canada politics podcast. Today on the show, former Parliamentary Budget Officer Kevin Page provides a reality check on the Liberals' sunny ways. Infrastructure Minister François-Philippe Champagne gives us the government's best sales pitch. And Jean-Yves Duclos, the minister responsible for most of those programs aimed at addressing income inequality, sits down for a candid chat. So my name is François-Philippe Champagne. I have the challenge to tell you in 30 seconds about everything we've done for Canadians. Let me give it a try. We certainly have done things um, for people with respect to infrastructure, with the Canada Child Benefit, with the pension benefit. Uh, We've helped people with old age pensions. We've certainly changed um, students, uh, impacted students. We've impacted workers with new labor laws. Um, And I can go on and on and on. What I can tell you is that there's no one that I know in this society, in Canada, I would think that has not been impacted positively by what we've done for them. 
I decided to give the minister more than 30 seconds to elaborate. We'll hear more from him a little bit later in the show. I had a student go through the first three budgets. How many times did they mention the middle class? It's like 350 times in, th- in three budgets. So they talk about it, but without really defining it and really putting in any, any kind of measurable sense um, how big is the problem. Mm-hmm. And in terms of like the shift of income to the wealthy, like what would they like to see the middle class distribution look like in terms of income or net wealth? Like if you wanted to get back to a place, say we where we were in terms of income distribution in the 1990s or the 70s, like it would take an awful lot. And it's not something that's going to happen quickly. Like you can't do this in, in, a, in a one political cycle. It could take many political cycles. I'm Kevin, Kevin Page, Institute of Fiscal Studies and Democracy, University of Ottawa, former parliamentary budget officer of Canada, good friends with Althea. You can cut that out. Um, thank you. Thank you. You mentioned uh, the 1970s. So I think just to help set the stage, if you could explain why income inequality is an important issue that should be tackled by the federal government and kind of put it in perspective. I, I think like we're, we're all trying to wrap our heads around like what is going on in this world? Like why are we getting these autocratic leaders? Like, and um, like what's behind that? Like, you know, in um, what's behind President Trump or the new leader in Brazil? Who are these people that are supporting this type of change? Like what's behind it? Is it global capitalism? Is it an anti-establishment kind of perspective? I mean, people against the elites. I think income distribution is one of those issues where um, it's hard to put. You know, it's hard to say like what is a good distribution. Other than to the extent that you have more balance in an income distribution, like it tends to promote greater economic growth. It tends to promote greater opportunities for people. And, and you, you know, while you do that, you build a society that you have. Like, ten, you know, it's more socially cohesive. Actually, so we wanted to, we wanted to look harder at that. So, and then you know, when we looked at the government's agenda, they never really define what the middle class is. They pre- refuse to define it many times, and then they start throwing billions of dollars, like ten billion dollars plus, if you look at you know spending since uh, you know, the 2015 election annually. And the government spends about $300 billion, so it's an extra $10 billion in spending towards childcare benefits or infrastructure. Pretty significant. And we're running $20 billion deficits, so we're saying future generations are going to pay for this. And in the, in the name of strengthening and growing the middle class. So, you know, yeah, we, you know, with some of my students, namely Sama Muhammad, we started looking at this issue. And what we find is, yeah, in Canada, we have a lot of inequality. Like when you compare us with other countries, there's different coefficients. To look at this, and we'll bore you with the you know the statistics, but we were you know we are definitely higher income inequality and way much higher than the OECD average. And then you look at the shifts. First of all, you see it's substantial, and it is like really it's from like I think for the most part you see this big shift from the mid 1990s to present day, and it's going really to the top one percent, top ten percent. Everybody else is giving up something in terms of their slice of this economic pie to this top 1%. And it's worth, like, you know, when we started looking at the numbers, it's like four percentage points of GDP. So in today's dollars, it'd be like $80 billion ship. So you try to understand, okay, the government's playing with levers, childcare benefit or infrastructure banks, what have you, and try to move this back. But like that, that's a big tectonic plate shift in income distribution. And um, these populist movements in many ways, and you know, and you could look at it socially or economically, like they're driven by, to some degree, people feeling that there's uh, massive disparity. 
So the government says that they have um, brought in either that they've already accomplished or plan to have budgeted for about 61 measures that deal with some of the things you talked about. At the top of the list, though, uh, is the Canada Child Benefit. The government says it is helping nine out of 10 families. Is it making the difference the government says it is? Well, if there's one signature initiative in the government's, you know, grow, growing and strengthening the middle class, that's definitely the initiative. Like it's sizable, like in, in net terms. So, I mean, the previous government's been putting more and more into child benefits. It's helped, it's promoted uh, labor force participation when, um, and that's really important in, in an economy like ours where we, because of dem- aging demographics, we have, you know, more and more people look like me, gray hair or no hair and we're just getting old and running out of gas, that we have more and more people like participating and we can find ways to get youth into the, in the labor force uh, earlier rather than later. But I think like that is definitely a material change. Like the middle class stuff pretty much awash, just the way, you know, the, the if you, what they did to the middle bracket and the middle rate and, and how they changed, they got rid of you mean the tax splitting. rate. The tax, yeah, to the middle class tax rate. To most people, except for those making over $200,000. Yeah, so it really, like, they were offsetting benefits, but definitely the one thing that really potentially will make a difference, even in one political mandate, is is, is that measure. And that is a major initiative. But again, if you again, if you put that in terms of these broad, you know, these tables around income distribution, like, you know, between 2015 and 2019, when they go to an election, like you, you know, um, it won't move the numbers. Like in terms of that shift that we've seen, the losses that have gone from the middle class to the, to the wealthy. You mentioned the tax cut. Uh, the government says the average saving is $330 each year. I, I'll admit I didn't notice it. I suspect yeah. a lot of people haven't noticed it either. Is that really going to help the middle class? I think even the government's own paper, they released a paper in September mm-hmm. on... Um, on you know, strengthening middle class, you could see even in their numbers. Basically, their own report card. Yeah, their own report card, but only really looking at like you know three effectively of those sixty plus measures. Um, the the tax stuff kind of nets itself out. So, but yeah, going forward, like you know, people talk about tax reform, like going into this fiscal update that's coming up. People say, "Oh my God, we're losing competitiveness." Donald Trump has lowered his corporate tax rates. We got to lower our corporate tax rates. Again, we're running deficits. The U.S. are running much bigger deficits. Should we be deficit financing corporate tax rates? And I think that's an issue that uh, we want a, a serious debate. But there's going to have to be a bigger debate on what is tax reform in the future to deal with these rising populist pressures. And like let's like let's be honest that there is this pressure does exist, and we have it in Canada as well. Um, but we don't want it to destroy our political system, and where we have political leaders promising things they can't deliver. The government was elected on a promise to grow the middle class and help all those wishing to join it. A lot of the policies that they've come forward though seem to be directed at helping those at the bottom, helping lift people out of poverty. Um. It probably should go like again. If you look at the middle class, it's pretty rich. Like we have a, our middle class is relatively strong. We're losing ground in Canada to the the upper part, but they like the, you know if you're poor in Canada, you're struggling. We will need to make better better investments. Yeah, some of it will come through the tax code. Some of it will come through social redistribution, but also investments, making sure they access to education. Um, you get, you know, potentially access to good drugs, you know, the housing agenda. So it is definitely comprehensive, but it will take time to move this distribution. I think when people see the chart, they're going to be shocked how small that slice of the pie is for the, the lower, what we call the lower class. It's, it's almost hard to see in the pie. 
So putting money into anti-poverty strategies uh, to lift people out of poverty, probably not going to win you a lot of votes. But I think for the medium to long term, this that's more of an that feels like an investment. In the same way, like when we go back to the 1960s and people said, well, you know what, we should have universal health care, mm-hmm. and we should see it as an investment. And it, we look back, actually, it, it was an investment. We're going to have probably have to go through a similar type of period in the, in the next five, ten years to deal with these income distribution issues. We're entering the last year of the liberals' mandate. Are there? other things kind of on the horizon that might actually affect the government's desire to grow the the middle class? Yeah, I think like there's definitely a sense that, um, like it's it's been a while since we've had uh, an economic hiccup or a recession, like 2008, mm-hmm. that's 10 years ago. People kind of, um, you know, after 10 years, you kind of forget what it was like for the unemployment rate to go from like five and to eight and a half percent in a few months. So we're definitely vulnerable to a hit. And governments have been adding to the stock of debt and interest rates are going up. Mortgage rates are up a full point. They're going to go up another full point over the next year. It's, it's most people. That's a kind of average private sector guess. So like we're getting more and more vulnerable to a big hit. Not preparing yourself for that. Like it's like I look out my window in the morning. I see the squirrels gather, the nuts and everything. They, they're kind of preparing for winter. They're all looking a little bit fat. So you want governments to make sure that okay, we're you know we're going to make sure that we have we we have the right programs in place. Um, that you know because it, it will happen, and it could be we don't know how it could happen. Um, to quote like Forrest Gump, shit happens, right? So should we be cutting taxes while we're running deficits? No. Should we be running deficits when the economy is as strong as it is now? And um, probably not. We should be We should be like the squirrels. We should be putting something aside for future generations, these big investments. We need to be a little bit careful. So I think like it would be good, I think, for the government, both I think politically as well, too, because I think you know, fiscal responsibility is going to be an issue in 2019. And I'm sure the conservatives will be all over it. And, um, you know, if the liberals are going in and the deficit's on its way up and the economy's as strong as it is now, they're going to be a little bit vulnerable on the fiscal front. But what you're saying is they should be cutting elsewhere. You and I were talking about how much more money did we put in for childcare? Well, it's actually that the cost of your credit bill on an annual basis is more than you're putting in for childcare. I worked at Department of Finance through the 1980s. We ran deficits like four or five percentage points of GDP almost every year. And we got to the point in the mid-1990s where for every revenue dollar coming in, we're spending like 38 cents on a credit card. So right now it's less than 10 cents, but it's moving up. Kevin Page, I'm just going to end it here. This is a question that I hate being asked, and I'm sure you hate being asked this question too. But if you were to give a government a grade on their efforts to help the middle class and all those wishing to join it three years in, what would you say? Oh, it's like grading is hard. Um, but I, I would like to divide the grade into two parts. So you, you, I would give the you know, government like an A, literally an A for its agenda. Like in terms of like defining the size of this problem, like the middle class, like being honest about the challenges that it's going to take to, to actually deal with these income distribution issues, like putting childcare benefit numbers, other you know infrastructure numbers in perspective, what it could do for the middle class over what time period. Like I, it's it's that's more like a gentleman C program, maybe like a gentleman C. I've never heard that before. Yeah, that's what we again. I've come from a different generation. That's that's not the right. It's not the right speak right now. It's a it's a B minus probably sixty five percent. 65 to 70, yeah. So, Dan, they get an A for the agenda, but it's kind of um, probably a B minus for um, for just being honest and frank about like how much change this, this is really going to bring about. 
Kevin Page, thank you. Thank you. Kevin Page is the founding president and CEO of the Institute of Fiscal Studies and Democracy at the University of Ottawa. He was Canada's first parliamentary budget officer. Prior to that, he spent 27 years in the federal public service. is uh, Tony Clement. I'm the Member of Parliament for Perry Sound Muskoka. They made it tougher for the middle class uh, to uh, survive uh, on the affordability index. Uh, they keep increasing their taxes. Uh, they make it tougher for small businesses uh, that are primarily run by middle class people to survive. They've targeted small businesses with increased taxes and uh, more uh, CRA harassment. So they're, they're a big fat F on that one. My name is Honorable Deepak O'Brien, Member of Parliament from uh, Calgary Forest Lawn. I am the Dean of the Conservative Caucus. Their priorities do not, are not matching with the Canadian priorities. Very simple and straightforward, you know. If the Canadians are looking for some kind of how we're going to improve the economy, how we're going to jobs, things that matter to them, right? Maxime Bernier, the leader of the People's Party of Canada. All these deficits won't help the middle class because they will have to pay for these huge deficits that they're doing. Who's helping the middle class right now? It's the private sector. They are creating jobs in, in this country and uh, that's great. So the middle class and uh, Canadians are able to have a job. That's the most important. But after that, you know, the deficit of today will be the tax of tomorrow and they will have to pay for that. I'm Jenny Kwan. I'm the uh, MP for Vancouver East. People uh, feel betrayed by this government. People find it um, um, very challenging in our communities. As you know, uh, the affordable housing situation is uh, reach a crisis situation. We have record numbers in homelessness. Uh, this year's homelessness count uh, in our community in Vancouver uh, is, has increased again from last year. Uh, and it continues to increase year after year after year. My name is Matthew Dubay. I'm the NDP member for Bede Chambly and our federal caucus chair. I think uh, after a decade of, of darkness under Stephen Harper, I think a lot of people had hope in Mr. Trudeau uh, that there would be a progressive vision put forward. And what my constituents are saying is that they're disappointed. You know, one of the troubling trends we've seen, whether it's with housing or fighting poverty, is that a lot of, the get, a lot of it gets punted down the road. And we know that people need help now and it can't wait. So hopefully the dollars will come sooner rather than later. That's going to be a key thing to look out for in this kind of program. I met Jean-Yves Duclos in his ministerial office, perched on the 14th floor of an unmistakable government building in Gatineau, Quebec. Think huge, 1970s built reinforced concrete towers. There's a view of nicer buildings out of the windows. Yeah, we, see, uh, we see Ottawa, the House of Commons, not too far. So I'm, I'm reminded of, the, of my, uh, my duty when I'm not there. So I am Jean-Yves Duclos. I, I am a member of parliament for Quebec, and I'm also Minister of Families, Children and Social Development. I spoke to Kevin Page uh, earlier this morning. 
And he told me that uh, he would give you an A for effort in terms of the goals. Actually, I should probably just state here that um, Kevin Page sits on the board of a homelessness organization Mm -hmm. and uh, your department deals with homelessness. So um, straight up there for the listener uh, to know that. He said he would give you an A in terms of your ambitious goals. But uh, a gentleman's C or a B minus for uh, actual implementation thus far of your agenda. Uh, Primary among his criticism is the fact that you have yet to define what the middle class is. And so it is very hard to measure you according to your stated goals. What is the middle class for you? Well, I like the A. I find the B minus a bit harsh, but that's fine because I enjoy criticism and criticism both in my former academic life and my current life, is extremely important to help me do better. Now, the measurement of the middle class depends on two things. First, on income, and second, on security. People assess whether they belong to the middle class by assessing whether they have reasonably enough income to to make ends meet. Now, if they are free of excessive financial stress, they also look at their future. And, and see whether they have enough job security, the, their children have enough uh, confidence in the future so that they can avoid being too afraid of the future for themselves and the future for the ones that they love. Of course, measuring hope and security and, and, and certainty is, is more difficult. Basically, your argument is anybody who feels like they're part of the middle class are part of the middle class. That is certainly one subjective way of measuring the middle class. There are more objective ways, such as agreeing on a range of income, and there are all sorts of measures to do that. Another aspect of measuring the middle class is also about whether people have faith in their future. And that's more difficult to measure, but it's also very important for a growing middle middle class. But you're a minister in a cabinet that's focused on divrology and all this stuff. Surely there must be somebody somewhere who has an idea of what the middle class is for the government. Why not just tell Canadians what their definition of the middle class is? Well, the poverty reduction strategy has such measures. The poverty reduction strategy has three components. One is dignity, second is inclusion, and third is resilience. If you look at the inclusion set of indicators, you'll find indicators of, uh, of how people f- fit in the middle. Are they, do we have a strong middle range of, of Canadians in, in Canada? So is the, is the middle class, you know, those found in the middle of our, of our society, is that, is that strong? And there are ways to measure it, but there are other ways to measure the size of the middle class. In the 19th century, which I, w- I hesitate to say is a view of conservatives, in the 19th century, it was a richer Canadians and, and other human beings that made a difference to economic growth because they were the only ones that had the, that had the ability to invest in the future. Many, most of the others were just worrying about surviving. In the 21st century, in 2018, that's very different. What drives the growth in our society, and that in fact has been um, checked by the, by the Bank of Canada through the impact of the Canada Child Benefit, what drives the growth in our economy are investments by middle-class Canadians in their skills, in the, their workplace, and in their children. So what am I missing? Why doesn't the government just tell us what the parameters are? If you can somehow define it in the anti-poverty reduction strategy, why can't you tell us what the the benchmark is for what 
who is part of the middle class? Is it like a political reason? Like people, you don't want people to feel excluded from the definition of middle class or some people, everybody thinks they're part of the middle class, even though they might be part of the one or 5%. Uh, why, why not define it? Well, because we have indicators that can be seen as indicators of the importance of the middle class. There are other indicators that people might want to use. It's, 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 uh, it's more open to uh, measurement uh, creativity, let's put it this way, than the measurement of poverty, where we have a better agreement on what, it, what Canadians need to make ends meet. So, because as I said, it, it's not a single dimension. It's not only income, it's also security. So it's turned towards the future. And Canadians value security and, and hope in different ways. So we need to be mindful of that. And therefore, we need to be a bit more flexible than when it comes to measuring poverty. One of um, Kevin Page's other criticism, criticism of the government is on the one hand, he's saying that he uh, appreciates the spending to not exclude Canadians from participating in greater Canadian society, but he doesn't think that you should be running structural deficits in order to pay for program spending. Mm. Why is the government using structural deficits to pay for program spending? Well, when we were, as you know, when we were elected in 2015, uh, we were in the middle of a recession. So we had a choice of either making further cuts to um, to our economy. Well, and it was like a very small recession, if you well, want to. A small Technical rece recession, maybe. <laughs> a small recession can become a bigger one if Canadians lose, lose hope in their future. Now, for many years, now the federal government had claimed that it didn't have the responsibility towards uh, helping Canadians meet their housing needs. It, it was saying that it's the problem of provinces and territories and municipalities. And that led to a growing housing crisis. The federal government cannot claim that this crisis is not real. It cannot uh, shy away from its responsibility to invest in, in, in housing and in homes, affordable homes across Canada. Though that's, not, that's an investment in the future. So I, I, I don't see the deficit as a structural deficit. A deficit but it is, technically. The deficit depends on what you do. The value of the deficit depends on what you do with it. I'm going to ask you to list me some of the things that you are most proud of having accomplished as minister in this portfolio. The Canada Child Benefit is certainly one of which I am very proud because it has a direct connection with my earlier life previous to, uh, to being in politics. Second, the investments in early learning and child care, because again, I was able to connect my earlier life, both as an academic, also as a father in, in Quebec, uh, having seen the, the effects of investing in early learning and child care for our family and for our children as well. And third, I would uh, probably quote the investments in housing, the National Housing Strategy, which is a, which is signaling, and I, I know this because I've been told that every day by stakeholders, it's just, which is launching a new era for housing in Canada. So the, the federal government being, again, because it had not been so for many years, again, a leader and a partner in housing. The first thing you mentioned was the Canada Child Benefit, and that's something that we routinely hear uh, yourself and your Liberal colleagues uh, talk about how this is lifting 300,000 children from the poverty line. But the the 
government seems to be playing a little bit with the math when it comes to that number. Um, this is going to be no surprise to you, but the, the count includes um, some of the previous numbers from the Conservatives' universal child care benefit. And we don't really have an accurate sense of the data as it stands now. Why not just wait for Statistics Canada to come out and say, these are the official numbers, and instead of perhaps um, giving a picture that may or may not be accurate? Well, the picture, the final picture will indeed be even more accurate because once we have Statistics Canada's data for 2017 versus 2015, because it's only in 2017 that the benefit was fully in place, then we'll know exactly the final number. But with the ability of Statistics Canada and this department to compute those impacts before even we have the final data, we know that there are approximately 500,000 people in Canada being lifted out of poverty, 300,000 children, and there are 200,000 parents being lifted out of poverty because of the single impact of the Canada Child Benefit. When I spoke with you last, three years ago, um, you had spoken to me about your interest in uh, coming into government and being able to implement a minimum guaranteed income. We saw the government of Ontario under Kathleen Wynne come forward with a pilot program that has since uh, been scrapped by the Ford government. Will the Liberals, the federal Liberals, uh, step in, as some critics have asked you, notably the NDP, uh, to fund that pilot program so that you can see whether or not that has an impact? Well, the answer is no, because uh, although we have introduced a guaranteed minimum income for families with children with the Canada Child Benefit, we cannot dictate the uh, social welfare programs that provinces and territories are using for their uh, for their own citizens. So the Canadian government with the CCB is able to put into place a guaranteed minimum income for families with children because it has this ability, this fiscal ability. But for childless adults, singles or couples, it's the uh, it's social assistance that is helping them uh, being lifted out of poverty. And those programs are managed and designed by, by provinces and territories. However, I can tell you that one day, I do believe that we'll have a guaranteed minimum income for all Canadians with children and without children. We've had one, in fact, for seniors since uh, 1970s. The, the old age security program is a very good example of guaranteed minimum income, federal uh, program for all seniors above 65 years old. We now have one for families of children below 65 years old. And one day, I think, we'll have one for other Canadians, but that will take a little time. When I look at what the Liberals have actually accomplished, the Canada Child Benefit, um, large improvements to GIS, the Guaranteed Income Supplement for Seniors, the Canada Workers Benefit. Um, you are going in a direction of creating more programs. In August, you announced that these programs were going to be part of the anti-poverty strategy. At the time, you announced that the government planned uh, to cut Canada's poverty rate in half by 2030. Without any new programs, any new money. How are you going to achieve that goal when you say that the measures you've already implemented are only going to lift 650,000 people and you need to lift 2.1 million? Mm -hmm. Well, two things. First, uh, it's important to have a long-term goal, which puts pressure on the federal government and other governments to reduce poverty over time. It is unfair for Canadians living in a rich society, for too many Canadians to have uh, an unfair and an unfortunate uh, chance of not 
thriving and, and being well in our society. So it's important to have these longer term objectives. It's also important, that's the second thing, to make sure that as we proceed to the longer term objective, we have milestones to make sure that we are heading in the right direction. And by April 2019, we will have lifted 650,000 Canadians out of poverty. That's a remarkable achievement in little time. And I'm very confident that by 2020, which is the next milestone, we will have reduced poverty by 20%, which will bring us on that path of reducing poverty by at least 50% in 2030. And if we succeed in doing that, we're also aligned with uh, the United Nations' first sustainable development goal, which is to reduce poverty by half in our country. So it's a laudable goal, basically. It's a goal. It's a goal which will put pressure because there will be not only a, a goal, but also for the first ever time in Canadian history, an official poverty line. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the federal government will not be able to cheat. It has an official measure, it has an official target, and there will be ways by which the Canadian government will be forced to be accountable. Future federal governments will need to live up to that, uh, that unless they change the law, which is of course always possible, but I'm certainly not going to do that myself. Okay, well, they'd have to, you'd have to first introduce the law for them to change it. So when do you plan on introducing a law that would legislate an official poverty line? Next week. Oh, perfect. Look at that. We made news. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to end it by just asking you, this is an election year. You are a politician who will be hitting the campaign trail um, and hoped, I suspect, to be reelected this time next year. So uh, what will you tell your constituents who want, who want more? Well, I would hate to uh, make the Minister of Finance jealous of me because I would tell you all the things that he is responsible for. So, Althea... You can just tell me what you want to say. <laughs> a, pharma, a universal pharmacare program, perhaps. Ah, well, I heard that, yes. Uh, thank you. My, my colleague, Minister Morno, is working quite hard on that as well with, of course, the Minister of, of Health. Now, we have, we have ambitious... Uh, views for Canada and Canadians and we look forward to trying to convince Canadians that uh, no, they will be uh, they will they will find it appropriate for them to give us their confidence in uh, in October 2019 thank you thank you so much Jean-Yves Duclos is Canada's Minister of Families, Children and Social Development. Prior to his election in 2015, he was the Director of the Department of Economics and a tenured professor at Laval University. I want to leave you with more from Infrastructure Minister François-Philippe Champagne. Sometimes in Ottawa, it's hard to gauge how real people are responding to government initiatives. Sometimes it's easier to talk about politics rather than policies. And sometimes it's easier just to focus on the negative news. The government's record is certainly not unblemished. But here's what they think they've done well and why. It's up to you to judge. Well, what has the government done in the last uh, three years uh, for Canadians? Uh, let me start with people. Because when you uh, come from a rural lighting like mine, you're very mindful that you're there to represent your community in Ottawa. Uh, I would say the most transformative um, thing we've done is the Canada Child Benefit. And I'll tell you why, because I come from, a, you know, my riding of Shawinigan, which is about bigger than Belgium, eight hours north-south, 34 uh, municipalities, um, communities which have gone to good and, and difficult time economically. Um, 
And I will always remember that, that story when I went to a school to serve lunch to kids. And uh, they said, Minister, uh, you just come there and the lunch box are in the, the fridge. And I did say to the teacher, I said, um, but how am I going to recognize which lunch box goes to which kid? Obviously, I don't know them. So I said, you need to be next to me. Oh, she said, you won't have that problem because none of them have a bunch, none of them have a lunch. So those box are all the same. So it's just a reminder that what we've done for people. The other thing I would say is um, helping our seniors. I think that we uh, recognize that more and more people are retiring on fixed income and that um, the cost of living are increasing. So by doing the top up for uh, seniors, I think, again, we've been able to impact the lives of people. And as international trade minister, I must say, I'm extremely proud that we have uh, uh, concluded the free trade agreement with Europe, which is opening up a market of about 500 million people to our small and medium-sized businesses. So when I was in the UK, they called me the lobster man on BBC. You would have loved that. Because I keep talking about the lobster example. Um, last September, we had about 9,000 tariff lines uh, between Canada and Europe, which came down to zero. Lobster is a good example. Lobster that used to be exported on the east coast of Canada to Europe usually would face tariff of anything between 15 to 25%, depending if it's fresh or frozen or transformed. Um, last September, these tariffs came down pretty much to zero. So you can imagine the opportunity that we've created, for example, for fishers on the east coast of Canada. Um, I remember that vividly because that has been transformative. You're talking about jobs for people, because when you open market, you create jobs. And you just have to look, for example, in the port of Montreal where Maersk just added new lines uh, because there's more containers going from Canada to Europe. And I could go on and on as to how much market we have opened. If I look on the West Coast with the uh, agreement with um, Asia Pacific, that's going to be transformative for our beef farmers, for the pork uh, industry. Uh, and when I think about the United States, as you know, more than 70% of all goods are crossing the border. Um, if I think about infrastructure, um, I think this is historic. I mean, more than $180 billion, um, over the next 10 years. Uh, why is that transformative? Because I do know, and you know, that you need modern infrastructure, uh, which is uh, infrastructure fit for the 21st century, resilient and green, to make sure you attract investment and attract talent. And I think Canada has been right in investing in public transit, in green infrastructure, um, in social infrastructure, and in rural northern communities. All these things together are transforming Canada for the better, for families and for workers. François-Philippe Champagne is the Minister of Infrastructure and Communities. And that's our show. If you like this episode and you're listening on iTunes, please drop us a review. We're always eager to hear your show ideas. You can reach me through Facebook or Twitter at Althea Raj. A-L-T-H-I-A-R-A-J is my handle. This week's podcast was produced by myself and HuffPost politics reporter, Zian Lum. Our technical producer is Stephanie Warner. Andre Lau is our executive producer. I'm Althea Raj. Thanks for listening. <laughs>